Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Let's pray together. Father, we have been singing about the fact that you're worthy, you're almighty, there's no one like you. We rejoice in your majesty. We are amazed by your radiance. We're looking forward to the day where we will not only see that with our imagination and our mind's eye, but face to face, beholding your glory. We look forward to that day. We know that when we see our Savior, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. We know that that hope, that confidence we have, has a purifying effect on us here and now. So we pray that you'd help us, that we would have our attention set on things above, not on things of the earth. But we know that in the process of having our attention on things above, we do live here on earth, and we pray that as we're empowered by your Spirit, we would manifest or declare and display your Son, Jesus, our Savior and King. We pray this in his name. Amen. Why do you go to work? Why do you go to work? It's a very important question. It has a far more broad answer, at least it should, than, than the initial response that came into your mind. If your boss called you on the phone and said, you know, I really appreciate you. I appreciate you, the work you do. You work diligently. Uh, I really, really like your work ethic and, and what you've been doing. I've come on hard times, however, and I can no longer pay you. But I would like you to continue to work. What would you say? You might say something like, you know, I really like you as well. And I really like working for you. But I do need to pay my bills. And therefore I'll have to seek employment elsewhere. Work is certainly a means toward an end. We want to go to work because we want to survive. Survival is not a bad thing. Being able to eat, buy clothing, insure our vehicles, put gas in our cars. We want to be able to save money for the future. We want to be able to give to others. Money is an important part of that. We feel satisfaction from a, a good day's work. Remember this, we were intended to work. From the very beginning, God intended for us to work. This is not a result of the fall. Adam and Eve were to work even before the fall. And Jesus reminds us that God himself works. Jesus said, my father works, and I work. We know that Jesus is currently at the right hand of the father. He's seated. Good. We're happy about that. And the book of Hebrews lets us know that the fact that Jesus is seated, is, there's no more sacrifice for sin. So he's not going to go up and offer something else. But that doesn't mean his work is done. The Bible tells us he always lives to make intercession for us as our great high priest. He is our good shepherd. He is our great shepherd. He is our chief shepherd. We recognize Jesus as our advocate, the one who goes to the Father on our behalf. He's still working. Work is not a part of the fall. 
What are we seeking to accomplish while we're working? Well, sustenance, we've already discussed that. We like security. We like to make sure that we'll have a secure future. We like the respect that comes with a job well done. We, in our work, want to see growth, right? We don't want to remain a, a, a ditch digger forever. We don't want to have the same um, entry-level position 10 years from the time we started. We want to see ourselves move from an entry-level position and kind of work our way up. We want to see that kind of growth. And really, we, we look to, at some point, be able to retire, Right? You want to you work in such a way that you can prepare for your future. You recognize anyone that is my age, around my age, any realm around my age, from, from age, say, 30 to, to 45, 50, um, you really can't count as your retirement Social Security. You can't just say, well, oh, I've got Social Security, That'll be all, I'll be all set. You can't count on that even being there, and if it is there, how much will it be? That can't be what our security is. So in our working, we, we do have to have in mind that we have to have this preparation for our future. We have to be ready to retire at some point. We won't be able to do the same job at age 70 that we're doing at age 30 or age 40. But is that all? Is that all work is about? Safety, security, respect, you know, feeling of accomplishment? Is that, is that really all it is? Is there more to our role in the workplace? If we do not see our workplace as an opportunity to show forth the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is certain that we are not working for the king. If we do not see our workplace as an opportunity to shine forth the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, it is certain that we are not working for the king. Instead, we have settled for the menial mindset of money making or a paycheck. God has designed our employment for so much more than that. That's what we want to talk about this morning. That God has more for you in your work environment than just a paycheck. There's more there. When we are working for the king, we take pride in our work. When we are working for the king, we operate with integrity, we work respectfully, we show forth that we are in this job market for more than just the money, we are at the same time showing that we are working for a higher authority. And what we've been noticing as we've been going through the book of Colossians is that Jesus is indeed our king. He is our king. And he has jurisdiction over every part of our lives. He has jurisdiction over the church. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the head. He's, he's got our kingship over us at, in our church life. And in our home life, he is our king. We can't be the, the wife and husband and child and parent that we ought to be if Jesus is not ruling our hearts as our king. And what we'll notice this morning is that Jesus has jurisdiction not only over our church life and our home life, but he also has jurisdiction over our work life. He has jurisdiction over our work life. Take a look, please, at Colossians chapter 3. 
And what we'll note this morning is that this scripture demonstrates to us that we must work for our king, whether we are employees or employers. Beginning in verse 22, please. Colossians 3.22. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, meaning your earthly masters. Not with eye service, not only when they're watching, as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily with all your heart, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So we have this declaration from the word of God. We have these these instructions. We have this demonstration. We have this call upon our lives. And, And really, if you narrow it down, it's Jesus must be king at work. My question is, do you work for the king? Do you work... For the king. Remember, it is he who gives you the ability to make money. You may be the most industrious person. You may be the most diligent person. You may be the most intelligent person. You can add on the adjectives and descriptors of how great you might be. Do you think that God could put an end to that? What would it take? Oh, just just a problem with your brain. Oh, just a problem with your heart. Just an inability to breathe. Where does life come from? Everything we have comes from our king. Everything. Our ability to make money, our ability to gain wealth, it all comes from him. You may be the you may be at the, the other end of the spectrum in your abilities, and yet the Lord can bless you in that condition. It is Him who designs and orchestrates and works on our behalf. And so the call this morning, as in every other morning, it is for us to recognize Jesus' kingship over every part of our lives, and that includes our work life. Do you work for the king? Now what we'll notice as we go through this passage is we must make a few distinctions. There is a distinction between first century slavery, 19th and 20th century slavery, and our 21st century employment circumstances. Now there certainly were abusers back in the first century, of the slavery system. Um, and what you'll notice is through the scriptures, God gives instructions about how to, how to be a slave and how to be a master. What we cannot do is assume that because God gives these instructions that he is putting his stamp of approval on the slavery system of the day. He's not confirming it. He is also not 
condemning it, what he is doing is he's telling us as believers, whatever government that you live under, whatever system you live under, he's giving us instructions on how we can fruitfully live in that environment. So when God gives these instructions about slavery and masters, he's not saying, hey, everything in that system is just right. Don't worry about it. It's all good. He's just saying, since that's what you're under, learn how to operate under that circumstance. Throughout the Roman Empire in the first century, at least one-third of the people were slaves. That number was probably higher in the local church. And what you'll notice as interesting, now there's no way of authenticating this, but I'm quite certain that it's true, and most of those who have studied that time frame also agree with this concept. There were likely servants in local churches who served as elders and deacons. And in the same church, those who were their earthly masters were members of that church. So when they were in the church setting, these slaves had a leadership responsibility over their earthly masters. Very interesting situation and also a cause for some potential relationship tensions, wouldn't you say? So this is the context that we find ourselves in this study. In the first century slavery system, people were likely to have been emancipated, or the word uh, used then, they, they were to receive their manumission, they become freedmen, by about age 30. Most slaves received their emancipation by age 30 unless they really liked their master, in which case they could sign on to be his servant forever. Slaves could be, listen to this, interesting, doctors. Slaves could be managers, teachers, land stewards, as well as other more common occupations. So we're not talking about slavery like in the 19th and 20th century. We're not talking about that kind of slavery. That's not to say first century slavery didn't have its abuse. There was plenty of it. Um, Many historic citations of slaves being like a tool, right? So they just looked at it as like just an object. And so there there were their... Uh, mistreatments, but it's not the same as 19th and 20th century abuses that was rampant. What is the distinction here? One of the major differences, and I think the one that we can hold on to for our distinguishing between those areas of slavery and now what we call our 21st century employment situation is, it has to do with contracts. Contracts. There were no laborers' unions. There wasn't a guy making $30 million over four years holding out before training camp to say, hey, you know what, I I don't like, this isn't enough money, so I want you to pay me more, so I'm not going to show up to work. There's no contract holdouts. You may have an abusive master who didn't pay you enough, but you have a contract, and really you have no out in that contract, but to fulfill that contract or to be on the lamb, to be running and, and, and breaking the law. That was your choice. So when we come to the 21st century and we talk about some of these statements when, when there's uh, some seeming abuse going on and, and, and Paul telling the servant, hey, listen, just, even though they're abusing you, just do your job well. 
we don't have to allow that quite to translate that much, as much in the 21st century, because you're not under contract. Or maybe you are, but most likely you're not. And so what happens is your boss is abusing you, he's mistreating you, and you know what you can do? You go out and open the paper, and you look at the want ads for another job, or you go on the internet and you look on monster.com or whatever else, and if someone's abusing you, you can look for another job, and you're not violating the scriptures. You don't have to take abuse. Now, if you remain in the job, and your master is abusing you, your employer is abusing you, and you stay there, you still have to honor them, because they still have authority over you until you say, I've had enough, I'm going to go find employment elsewhere. So you see where there, there can be some distinctions here? Because we're not talking about a contract, we have to stay in our occupation. So there, there are ways of getting out from under an abusive employer. All right. We've already talked about a number of these issues. We want to continue our same theme, however. And what I mean by that is, all of this we see as part of our relationship with God. Don't look at your work life as, okay, well, that's my work life. And this is my home life. And over here is my church life. And, and I'm going to have Jesus as my king for sure in my church life because I, I went to worship him. And then at home, well, as long as everyone treats me properly, Jesus can be king. But if they mistreat me, I'm king. I want to make sure that I'm treated properly. And in my workplace, you know, you know, I can leave Jesus at home. I can leave him at church. That is completely contrary to what it means to have Jesus as king in your life, as Lord and Savior in your life. You, you can't live that way and expect the fruit of the Spirit to flow from you. You know what you can expect when you leave Jesus at home or at church? You can expect the fruit of your flesh to come forth. And let me tell you, friends, that's not pretty. And it's not productive. Now, you might be able to make a lot of money with the fruit of your flesh. In fact, I, I might submit, if you're in a position of leadership, you can probably make quite a bit of money if you just operate in accordance with your flesh because you can demand and demand and suppress and suppress and, and, and extract and extract all you want. So you can, you can gain financially, but is that the end goal? Is that who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ, one who just wants to get all they can get? What we've noticed thus far in verse 18 of Colossians 3 is that the king will enable wives to place themselves under the care of their husbands. In verse 19, the king will enable husbands to selflessly love their wives. In verse 21, the king will enable fathers to discipline, so I keep doing that, to disciple, that's the word, to disciple rather than discourage their children. And then last Sunday night, the king will enable children to obey and honor their parents. So now this morning, we have two more of these. The king will enable employees to productively fulfill their responsibilities. The king will enable employees to productively fulfill their responsibilities. Don't go to work without him. Now, you might say, well, I'm theologically astute. He dwells within me. Of course I can't go to work without him. 
And I would say, okay, granted, he, he's, he's there. In fact, even for unbelievers, he's there too because God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. Okay, we've got those things covered. What I'm talking about is not that like he dwells within you. I'm talking that he is operating in you, that he is operating through you, that he is being displayed through you, that, that he is your king and you're surrendered to him, not only at home and at church, but also in the workplace. When our king is ruling us at work, we will obey completely. We will obey completely. Look at verse 22. Bond servants, obey, what does it say? In all things, your masters according to the flesh or your earthly masters. We will obey completely in all things, it says. Now, I'm not going to take the time. You are astute enough. You know the scriptures enough that I don't need to tell you if they ask you to do something contrary to the word of God that you don't have to obey in that area. We ought to obey God rather than men. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. You know that, so I'm just going to go with the assumption that you know. If someone says, hey, lie, cheat, and steal, this is your job, you'll say, this is no longer my job. I'm looking elsewhere. I'm not even going to wait to find another job first. I am just going to leave you right here and right now because you told me to lie, cheat, and steal. And I will not do that. That does not represent my king. I cannot live my life as who I am and who God has made me if you ask me to do that. So if that's what you want, I'm done right here and right now. So we've got that, right? With that set aside, when our earthly employers, our earthly masters tell us to do something and it doesn't violate scripture in our conscience toward God, we must do it the right way. We must do it in all things. Take a look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. If you want to hold your hand in Colossians, it'll be helpful. If not, I'm going to make reference back there. We've read it already. Um, so you can, whether you turn back or not, I'm going to be, I'll move Quickly back there. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. Paul tells Titus in verse 9, Exhort bondservants to, to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And so he gives us these, these thoughts here. And it really comes right underneath this first point of we will obey completely. When our king is with us and ruling in us at work, we will obey completely. We'll be well-pleasing to our masters in all things. We'll not be answering back. Think about that for a moment, answering back. It's so easy to have a sharp tongue. Even to the person that, that signs your paycheck. It's so easy to be upset by something that they, they've said and to, to say something that, that digs at them or undermines them a little bit. Now, it's kind of a little bit of humor here for you. Everyone loves a good Gilbert. I don't know if you can even read that. This, this, guy, this boss comes up to the lady and says, why did you reject my... Friend request on Facebook. <laughs> I like her response. I'm not your friend. 
I'm a disgruntled wage slave who hopes you die in a freak industrial accident tomorrow at 3 p.m. And his response is, that's disturbingly specific. So she reminds him, hey, look, you have a meeting tomorrow at the warehouse. Uh, not answering back. Let's, let's not go with, with that methodology. Dilbert can always supply a little, a little good illustration for us of someone that doesn't know how to talk respectfully to their, their employer. Not answering back. And it says not pilfering. You know what that word means? Not embezzling. Pilfering, though. Like, embezzling sounds bad. It's like That's like hundreds of thousands. Pilfering kind of sounds like, you know, well, anything in between a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, and the thousands, that's pilfering. Don't steal from your, from your boss. Don't steal money. Don't steal product. You ready for this? Don't steal time. Don't steal time. Flittering your day away. Dealing with non-work-related issues while you're being paid to work. Not pilfering. We will obey completely when our king is ruling us at work. So let's, let's think this through. When we are flittering our time away at work, we're working on, on something that's completely unrelated and it's taking up a chunk of time. Here's what you can know about yourself at that moment. Right now, I'm not working for my king. Right now, I'm working for me. I have my own agenda, my own desires, and I'm fulfilling those desires. When the king is ruling us at work, we will obey completely. Secondly, we will obey wholeheartedly. The reference that we made back in Colossians 3 was, not with eye service, not, not only when their eyes are on us, not with eye service as men pleasers or people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Now back in Titus 2, you're already there, you don't need to turn back. The phrase is showing all good fidelity. Showing all good fidelity. You know what that means? It's, it's a great word we love. Faithfulness. Showing all good Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithful to what? Well, first and foremost, faithful to my king. Secondly, faithful to my employer. Why would I be faithful to him? He's a jerk. Hey, listen, you decided to work there. You don't have to. You can go somewhere else. And you know what? That guy that you think is a jerk, or that lady that you think is a jerk, they decide whether you get paid or not. Right? They might not actually physically sign the paycheck, but they're your manager, and, and they're the ones that submit all the things, and someone down the road here, someone down the, down the line, they, they sign the paycheck. Because your manager, your boss says, hey, um, these are the hours, this is it, good to go. Maybe you're on salary, and you think, well, it's, it's very detached. It's not like they say, you know, he did a good job this week, pay him. You know what he can do or she can do? She can say, go home. Your services are no longer needed here. It's the same thing, right? 
So it's not with eye service as men pleasers. It's with all faithfulness. It's showing all good fidelity. We are to obey wholeheartedly. So when you go to work tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and whatever other day you go to work, when you go, we go and we obey completely from a heart that is filled with an expectation from our our king first and, and a heart that is I want to do what's right before my employer. It's, it's right. I want them to be uh, to make money. I want the company to function properly because if the company doesn't function properly, I'm not going to get a paycheck. There's all kinds of reasons for it. Ultimately, we do so wholeheartedly. When Jesus is our king at work, we will also obey faithfully. Faithfully. Now, here's where we get to the, the real meat. The real meat of this. You know, the other stuff, it, it's important and it's, um, it's part of our day-to-day work life. But here's where we get to the real meat. He says, your, your bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye services, men pleasers, fearing God. Fearing God. Now, with that in mind, I want us to look at some other texts of scripture. You don't have to hold your hand in Colossians. We'll come back there in a a little while. Take a look first at 1 Timothy chapter 6. As we look at this scripture passage, I want you to recognize this is the negative side. What I mean by the negative side is, okay, when I don't obey completely, wholeheartedly, and faithfully, This is what's really at the heart of it. This is what really is at stake. Well, yes, your paycheck may be at stake if you're not doing your job well. Your security may be at stake. Your retirement may be at stake. A lot of financial, earthly things may be at stake. But what I really want to talk to you about, what really is at stake, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Why? So that the name of God and his doctrine, will you read the rest of it with me? May not be blasphemed. Are you catching what's being said here in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 6? I don't go to work properly. I don't go to work with respect. I don't go to work with honor. I don't go to work with obedience. I don't go to work with a wholehearted mindset. I don't go to work fearing God. I go to work for me and I go to work for my own desires and, and, I, and I do it half-heartedly and, and I do it because it pleases me because I want to and not because I, I have to or I need to. I don't do it for this guy. You're not the boss of me. We've, we've all heard that one from little kids. We, when that happens, this is not a small deal. God says you're blaspheming Him. The name of God is representative of who he is, right? The doctrine of God is what he's about, right? When we don't do our job as unto the Lord, we are blaspheming our God. Tell me that doesn't have a little bite to it. If you can leave here today after that verse and go to work tomorrow as if nothing happened, I might, I might recommend to you 
that you check to see whether you know the God that you sang about this morning. Because if you can read about your work ethic not being in place and it being a blasphemy to God's name and his, and his doctrine and it not impact your day-to-day life, something is desperately wrong with you. Desperately. See, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? It's every day. Every day you go to work. Every day you go home. Every day you're a father. or Every day you're a mother. Every day you're a husband. Every day you're a wife. Every day, most of the days of the week, you are an employee or an employer. This impacts our lives. Now take a look back at Titus chapter 2. Positively, right? So we looked at the negative. Don't do this and you're blaspheming God. Well, that's not the end of the story, friends. There's a good side, too. There's a good side. Go to work tomorrow with this intensity to love God, to serve God, to fear God, with this intensity to obey your employer where you can, to respect your employer, to do it wholeheartedly, fearing God. You do this, and I want to show you what the benefit is. It's not just a paycheck. It's not just security. It's not just retirement. It's not just being able to provide for your family. It's much more than that. It's much better than that. Because that stuff is all temporal. That stuff will all come to an end. We have something that will last for eternity here. Titus chapter 2. We'll look at verses 9 and 10 again. It says, Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. Read the rest with me. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. You know what he just said? You go to work and do your job properly. You let the king be your God. You let the king rule in your heart. And you are putting on the doctrine of God on display. People will see your Savior. People will see your King. Now, you go to to work, and maybe there are some believers there. And you can be an encouragement to them as you adorn the doctrine of God. And maybe, probably, you also work with some that don't know Jesus as their Savior. And I'm not telling you that instead of working, tell them the gospel. That is not what I'm saying. That is not obeying in all things. Live the gospel. There'll be opportunity for talking later. There are lunch breaks and other breaks and after work and before work for the gospel presentation. When you're at work, you are presenting the gospel visually by your respect by your honor, by your obedience, by your faithfulness, by your diligence, by the fact that you are serving the king when you're at work and not just serving yourself. Play games during work. Your your fellow employees will see it. They'll know who you're working for. We can adorn the gospel of God. Take a look, please, at Ephesians chapter 6. Very familiar passage. We read it already this morning, responsively. Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 6. Well, we'll begin in verse 5 just for fun. 
Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to your king, Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of your king, Christ, doing the will of God, doing the will of God. Yes, that shovel full of dirt. Yes, that keyboard stroke. Yes, that stroke of the brush. Yes, that push of the lawnmower. Yes, that, that turn of the screwdriver. It is doing the will of God because you're serving the king. Well, he's, you know, he's not there supervising me. Oh, oh, he's not, is he? I would contend with that. I believe he is there supervising you. He's well aware of everything that's happening. Doing the will of God from the heart with good will. Doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Now, maybe your boss is not the most wonderful person. You're serving the Lord. You're serving the Lord. You serve the Lord by, by relationship this man or this woman may be served. But you're serving the Lord. We serve the king. We do it faithfully. Head back to Colossians for a moment. In Colossians chapter 3, we read verse 22, 23. We, we really talked about verses 23 through 25 and the first installment of our uh, do you let Christ in your home or do you let the king in your home? But verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. He's the one that, that provides for you. For you serve in every way, in every part of your life, you serve the Lord Christ. He's the king. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. Why? Because you serve the king and he knows what's happening. And there's no partiality. There's no partiality. You're a Christian, so, well, I don't have to serve. I don't have to do a good job. Oh, really? Well, Jesus paid it all. That's true. Your, Your salvation is set. It's beautiful. You should rejoice in that. But if you don't do your job at work, you'll you'll find out about it. You'll find out about it. Because he's not partial. Just because you're one of God's children doesn't mean you don't have to do your work when you go to work. You still have to be productive in order to get a paycheck. It still works that way. We must choose. Do we want God's blessing? And God's provision, he's the one that rewards, or do we want our own blessing and our own provision? Am I working for me? Am I working for my boss? Am I working for the paycheck? Or am I working for King Jesus? Is there any better boss than King Jesus? You'll never find a better one. Because not only does he hold you accountable, he also enables you to do it. The employee will be enabled to fulfill the responsibilities properly when they're allowing the king to rule in them. When we work for the king, we put him on display. We adorn the doctrine of God. And above all of our purposes in the workplace, shining the gospel of Jesus Christ by our deed and then by our word, as we're able to demonstrate and declare, we are producing, or God will produce through us, enduring fruitfulness. 
as opposed to just the temporal fruitfulness. Now we turn the page. The king will enable employers to treat their employees rightly. Again, we're still dependent upon the king to do this. We're not saying, hey, you're you're an employer. Hey, listen, do it the right way. We're saying, let Jesus be your king, and this is what doing it the right way looks like. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Colossians, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. When our king is ruling us at work, first of all, we will pay appropriately. This is dealing with people's physical needs. Can I, can, I, can I get you to think that one through for a moment? I don't know who has jurisdiction over anyone's paycheck in here. But if you do, if you're in that position, make sure that we pay appropriately. Give your bondservants what is just, that means right. The word is righteous. And fair, meaning equitable. So that means we, we give a pay that is appropriate to the level of job responsibility. We give pay that is according to what it took to prepare to accomplish that job. In other words, what skills do they have to accumulate before starting this job? We pay in accordance with that. And then we pay in accordance with job performance. So let's have just a little brief discussion. It's, it's, it's fun. You're going to like it. It's about minimum wage. I don't know where you stand on this really interesting proposal of everyone making $15 an hour. That's not sensible. Someone shouldn't be 16 years old, go to the local McDonald's, and flip the $10 hamburger. Because that's what it will cost you if he's making 15 bucks an hour. You know that, right? No, no more dollar menu at McDonald's if these people are making $15 an hour. What happens to the rest of the wage scale? All these people that have invested thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on either college or, or trade school. Uh, they've been an apprentice and, and they're making $15 an hour. What about that guy or that girl? Be careful what you think is a good idea. Because it doesn't always mean that this intention that sounds, hey, if, if everyone makes $15 an hour, like this guy that works at McDonald's that didn't do really any preparation to, to prepare for his future, he's going to make $15. He'll be, he'll be able to, to, to live and, and everything. There should be a desire when you go to an entry-level position to not stay there. Give a kid 15 bucks an hour, you think he's going to go to school? So I can make $16 an hour? And someone is like requiring something other than flipping this $10 hamburger? You kidding me? And that $15 bag of fries? It's all good. As an employer, we want to make sure we pay appropriately. Because we as an employer must care for our employees' physical well-being. Secondly, we also must care about their emotional well-being we will demonstrate respect for them. If Christ is our king at work, and we have an employee, and I'm an employer, I'm not going to treat them like dirt. 
That's not respectful. That's not caring about their emotional well-being. You see, an employer has this great opportunity to influence physically, mentally, and we'll talk about the last element in a minute, this, this emotional well-being. Back in Ephesians 6, 9, you don't need to turn there, he tells the employers or the, 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 the masters to give up threatening. Give up threatening. It's like not constantly holding stuff over their heads. Well, I found this Dilbert for you. It, now, it, it, doesn't quite, it doesn't quite apply to masters and servants per se. It was really a co-laborer thing, but just, just picture it coming from a, a master to a servant. This is a good one. I love this. I'm stressed out about work. Maybe I'd feel better if I verbally abused a co-worker. That's Dilbert. And then his co-worker blurts out with this, you worthless piece of monkey spit. It was a good one. And then the response was, the, the co-worker feels good about himself. Dilbert's like, ah, you stole the one I was going to use. And sometimes, sometimes we, we feel good after we let off a little steam. But what did we really accomplish? Did we help that person? Really what happens after we do that kind of thing, we think, oh, I wish I didn't do that. And then we've got to make a choice. Am I going to go fix this problem? Or am I just going to sit on it? Far too many times I think we sit on it instead of fixing it. We should go back and address it. But I have a better suggestion. Let let the king rule in your heart at work. And you'll never come up with that one. Remember, when you're an employer, this employee, particularly if they're a believer, they're in the same place you are. What Colossians 3.11 says, Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So if this guy is a believer, this girl is a believer, here we are. I may have a role in the workplace. I, I sign their paychecks or whatever the case may be. But they're no worse than I am. I'm no better than they are in, in my relationship with God. I just may have this role in their life at work. Here's what I, I'd want to suggest. And again, I don't know how many of you are in the position to be an employer or a master type role, but if you are, really pay attention to this. What you want to do as someone who is leading others is give room for growth. Don't let them stay where they are. Look for opportunities to help them to to grow in their position and beyond their position. In fact, what you should do is you should train them to enable them to grow. You don't want to keep them at that place. You want them to be able to to get to a position that they're they're expanding and, and growing. The Navy actually does quite a a good job at this particular thing. They don't just say, hey, I hope that you all uh, progress. They actually give marked and measured ways of accomplishing that, and there's supposed to be a a mentor-mentee kind of a relationship going on so that there's this constant upward progression for people. They don't want them staying the same. They don't want to keep them at at this, this rank. They want them to be promoted so that they can take on more responsibility and then train the next generation. It's a good plan. It's a good plan in every uh, setting. 
And I'll also say this, employers, remember that your employees have more of a life than work. Remember that your employees have more of a life than, than at work. This is not everything about them. There's more to them. So don't try to consume every minute of their lives. That, that's, this is ways you can be respectful. You can demonstrate respect. Well, lastly and most importantly, when Christ is our king and he's ruling us at work, we will pay appropriately, dealing with their physical needs. We will demonstrate respect. We're dealing with their emotional needs. And finally, we will remember our master and so we'll care for their spiritual needs. He says knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Really, the concept there is, is of holding you accountable. It's holding you accountable. Remember this. You'll never be in a place in your life that you don't have an authority. You'll never reach the top of that ladder. You have a master who's in heaven. You are accountable to him in the way you deal with people. And I might say, even more importantly, in the way that we reflect him. You see, our, our words, our actions, and our attitude are to reflect our king. As an employer, you can demonstrate to those that work with you and for you, who your king is. And there is nobody like him. He is beautiful and desirable and majestic and glorious. He's kind. He's merciful. He's good. He's gracious. He's peaceful. He's long-suffering. He's gentle. And he enables. He enables us. Think about this. If, if you and I, whether we're an employee or an employer, we have the opportunity when we go to work to serve our king, to put him on display, and people can know the real God, the real king, and and as a result, then they can come to know him as their savior. And it will revolutionize their lives. Remember, it takes us from death, and he brings us unto life. He takes us from purposelessness to real purpose beyond a meager paycheck and retirement and security. We're talking about real and enduring fruit that comes from him. Let's pray together. Father, we know that we need your Son to rule us. Whether we're in church, whether we're in our homes, whether we're in the marketplace or the workplace, may it be obvious that Jesus is our King. And may you give us the opportunity to not only demonstrate Him visibly, but because of that visible demonstration, may we have the opportunity to verbally declare him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.